0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 83 of Bleeding Blue. And yes, the New York Football Giants won this last Sunday, this past Sunday. David and I are here, and we are going to be breaking down some film. We're going to be breaking down some micro and macro storylines of the Giants this week. We had our reaction episode earlier in the week, and now... We kind of had a chance to watch film again, watch the game again, and we're gonna sit back, relax, and actually talk about a win. A win, David. Can you believe it? I can't. I cannot believe it, Justin. This day I never thought this day would come. Never thought this day would come, but it is here. We're having a wonderful week. We'll continue to have a wonderful week. And without further ado, let's bleed. Blue. David, I have breaking news. Justin panic. myself, me, myself, and I, I'm an idiot.
1: That's not breaking news to me, Justin.
0: Yeah, well, you're just a mean guy. Yep. And didn't go with my joke. Sorry. It's all right. Um, I <laughs> have to apologize. So we had this great interview with Ron Effect on Sunday night, and it was released on Monday. Ron Effect on YouTube, by the way. He almost has 10,000 subscribers. Go subscribe to him. Let's get him to 10,000 subscribers to today. Today, let's do it. But, David, when we interviewed him and we were in the same room, I stupidly and idiotically plugged in my microphone into the wrong USB port so the audio was recording through the computer and it sounded like garbage. Well, Justin,
1: you know, we, we for, for transparency's sake, we were recording that right after... A thrilling Giants victory. We're not used to that, so we didn't know how to handle it. Our muscles were shaking, and and our brains weren't really functioning. And uh, you know, mistakes happen. You know, you you pull the Matthew Gay. Well, you know, it's okay. Uh, you know, but but I think we sound good now. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think we, I think we sound fine. Um, now, unfortunately, if we say anything really stupid on this on this episode, we can't chalk it up to. um You know, maybe you didn't hear it right because the audio sounds like trash. Now we actually sound better, so we actually have to say some more intelligent things.
0: Does that sound good, Justin? That sounds great, so let's do it. But if you do enjoy us, it's been a while since I've I've asked for this, and it's been a while since I've done housekeeping like this. But if you do enjoy us... Housekeeping! If you do enjoy us, please consider leaving a five-star rating on the Apple Podcast app. That really is one of the best ways that you can help us grow and you can help us expand. If you write a review, write a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app, even if you hate us, just leave a five-star review and tell us how we can improve. I would love that. I would absolutely love that and welcome that in terms of how we can improve. But don't give us a one-star rating because that'll make me sad. It'll it really <laughs> would make me sad. No, but really I think I thank everybody for listening. It's been a it's been a lot of fun. David, you want to say something? Yeah, I, I just wanted to let people in on a little
1: secret when justin says that he would be sad about a one star rating he is not kidding justin has texted me multiple mornings that he woke up that he had a dream that he woke up to numerous one star ratings on bleeding blues podcast page and it like is a full-out nightmare for him and i get like a lengthy text in the morning while i'm trying to work um and i have to i have to calm him down so
0: yeah it, if, it actually if, it
1: actually is a frequent nightmare that i have um, if you have something constructive to say, by all means, but don't just be a hater. Nobody
0: likes a hater. Speaking of haters, a lot of haters had to uh, eat some shit this week, to put it lightly. On uh but, you know, what the worst part is is that they they haven't really, David. Now they're now they're all aboard. Now they're
1: all aboard, and, and they're they're all about uh, all aboard the Danny Dimes strain, and, and it's irritating because there were there were a couple people out there who were objective who thought about it who really tried you know maybe were against the pick initially but but gave it time opened their minds a little bit and and now are seeing the fruits of our labor and, and and now everyone's just jumping on the train and and it's it's irritating justin
0: really even in the age of social media and everything that you say and everything that you do is captured or could be captured no one is being forced to i know max uh Who's that guy that um, who's the who's the co-host with Stephen A. Smith on Max Killer? Max What's Kellerman. Host? Yeah, I know he, Kellerman. he yeah. was one of the first ones and maybe the only ones that actually tweeted out like, oh, I was wrong. Like, I I was wrong. I mean, and you you honestly don't even have to say that you're wrong, but at least for the first week, you have to eat shit because it's been one week. Nah, uh, Yeah, you guys, you got to say it. You got to say it. You got to say I was wrong. I want to hear the words. You're an egotistical Giants fan, David. Absolutely I am. David, let's I want to talk about just because uh, I think so much happened on Sunday. So much happened. You know, you mentioned that stat about how Eli Manning was 0-44 when he was down by 18 points or more in his career in a football game, and then Daniel Jones is oh is, <laughs> is 1-0. It's just a crazy, crazy stat. But so much happened. And there was so much to take in. I just want to talk about how cool it was to have that football game happen, to have that go down the way that it did. So, David, if you want to start us off by just some, maybe some more thoughts that you're a few days removed now, just how good you feel, how cool that it is to see a victory and a win like that. So take it away, David. Well, a couple of things jump
1: out to me initially. So obviously, it feels great to get to get a meaningful. You know, we've been talking about this, Justin, a meaningful win in September. How much? How important that is, um, you know. And from a from a you know analytical side of the season, one and two is very different than zero and three. But it is really, really exciting. And there's a couple of things that stood out to me. Number one, the Giants scored 32 points on Sunday. There was a time not long ago where scoring over thirty points was was a dream that we didn't do it. It didn't, we didn't near it. It didn't happen though. I forget it. I forgot what the streak got up to until they finally, but I think broke that streak um, in Washington uh, towards the end of last year. But they scored 32 points and the offense clicked. It was, it was, it was 32 legitimate offensive points against a solid defense. I don't want to hear anything about the bucks of a bad defense. If you believe the bucks of a bad defense, you don't pay attention. Um. So that's number one. Number two, I think it's important for us to remember that Daniel Jones, this is, we're talking about, you know, guys, first start, first NFL start, plays the way he did. But beyond that, so many other guys on this team played really well. And I'm talking both sides of the ball. I don't want, you know, just because one guy in defense had a very, very, very bad game, a shithead worthy game. Does not mean that there weren't guys on defense who played well. Most guys on the offense played well. The offensive line struggled. But we'll get into all of that. Daniel Jones was so impressive, it is going to overshadow a lot of other guys who made major contributions to this win. And guys who are going to need to continue to make contributions if this team wants to keep winning and keep learning how to win and keep progressing. So from a more like macro point of view, looking at the at the game as a whole, the major storyline is obviously Daniel Jones. For a Giants fan, there's so much more to get excited about. Um, whether it's a, whether it's DeAndre Baker looking a little bit more comfortable finally in Week Three, or Dexter Lawrence making some impact plays, or Evan Ingram breaking out and looking like potentially, in my opinion, up in the station, the top three tight ends in the NFL right now. There's so many different places to get excited. It's it's a culture culture building win. Um, Dan Schneier tweeted that. Right after the game that, you know, regardless of the win or the loss, Giants could have walked out of that game happy with how Daniel Jones played, how the team played. Daniel was leading the comeback, even if the field goal had been good and the Giants had lost. You could walk away and say, wow, this team's going in a good direction. This feels great. But the win is so much more important. It's a culture building win. And and that's what that's something Dave Gettleman's talked about since he arrived in New York changing the culture, creating a winning culture again. And that's what that kind of win does. And it gets, gets a lot of young guys confidence. So I, I don't want to ramble too much more than I already have, but that's, I think what the, what's the most exciting thing to me is I look at a win and I think to myself looking ahead to next week and you know, against Washington at home, I look at this past Sunday and say, if if X, Y, and Z repeat themselves, if we do that again, we can win Sunday. This is not an anomaly. This is a team that can win football games. They just need to execute. So I think that's the mo- that's the biggest thing. That's, wh- that's
0: why I'm feeling so good tonight. David, uh, you you talked basically a lot about some other pieces besides Daniel Jones, since Daniel Jones really took up the majority of our reaction episode. But I kind of want to bring him up in the beginning, and then we'll kind of move forward from there. We'll be bringing up Jones throughout periodically because, you know, uh, quarterback is the most important position in sports. But neither here nor there. I almost didn't even feel like I was watching the Giants this past Sunday. I almost didn't even feel like I was watching a Giants game this past Sunday just because of how the Giants were moving the ball on offense. Like the last time that you could really definitively say the New York football Giants won a football game because of their quarterback had to be 2015. There isn't one game that you could point to in 2016, 2017, and 2018, even though we won 11 games in 2016, that you could say that we won that football game because of the quarterback play. Whereas if you look at a lot of teams in the NFL, a lot of teams in the NFL, David, you could look at quarterback play, and you could say, you know what? This team won this game because Drew Brees balled out. This team won this game because Matt Ryan balled out. Russell Wilson etc., 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 Aaron Rodgers, etc., etc., etc. You can look around the NFL and see that. It was just so cool to see, David. It was just so, so cool to see the Giants play football in that kind of way, in that kind of way. It it, it was so cool. It was so refreshing. Um, Obviously, the, the tough pill that we have to swallow is that Saquon Barkley will be gone from four to eight weeks, and I am always one that says I'm going to go conservatively on injuries and I'm going to say that he is going to be gone for eight weeks and we we will not be seeing him until after the bye week. But it was even more refreshing to see that the Giants could move the ball even without a running game and the fact that we weren't just stuck in the mud and the fact that regardless of whether the Giants won or lost this game on that Matthew Gay missed field goal, we were not going to be walking away and having a debate on this podcast on whether or not Saquon Barkley deserved more carries. We were not going to be having that conversation because the quarterback played so well. We will get to Saquon Barkley and in life, in life after Saquon for at least the next four to eight weeks, a little bit later on the show. But David, I just had to get that thought out there about just how cool, how cool it was to watch that Giants game when it almost didn't even feel like we were watching a Giants game.
1: I think for the first time in a long time, I watched the offense with
0: confidence. When's the last time a Giants offense came out onto the field and you were just confident that they were going to drive the ball down the field and get a few first downs? When's the last time you didn't have a lump in your throat watching this Giants offense, thinking, oh, they're just going to go three and out, and oh, we're just going to give favorable field position right back to the opposing offense? I just had this feeling, you know, especially towards that second half, oh, Daniel Jones is going to lead a fucking drive. Daniel Jones is going to ball out. Someone's going to get open in space and do something. You just have that feeling, and you have that confidence. And what's crazy is, is, even as the offensive line didn't play well, you know, think of
1: all the years in the past, right? How poor the offensive line play has been. For that sole reason, I I found myself not being at all confident in the in the offense's ability to do anything. Sunday, the offensive line was just about that bad for, for for stretches of the game but I remained confident there was something about the guys on the field in, in you know in large part due to the quarterback I I still believed in the guys on that offense to be able to make plays I believed in their ability to continue to make plays and it, that's a very refreshing feeling I watched the often, offense with confidence even though I didn't you know and from it's funny from the first from the first, first possession of the game I wasn't as confident as I became by halftime even though they were down twenty eight to ten, they'd only put up ten points. The, the offense had a different feel to it; they they just felt like could just function at a higher level. They were giving the defense a harder time, and obviously, the
0: second half they took off. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, David, the way that we usually uh, uh, structure and formulate our analysis film episodes, and usually we just have an episode once a week plus the pregame show. But this week we're going to have three, so it's a little bit of a special treat. I'm working extra hard, and I'm getting less and less sleep while I'm a senior at college at St. Joe's University. Um, I'm getting less and less sleep, but I'm doing it because I love it. The hawk will never die, but Justin might. Yeah, the, <laughs> the hawk will never die, but Justin might. Oh, that deserves a little bit of this.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, that Thank was you. a good I one. Appreciate it.
0: That was a good one. But I'm doing it. We're we're doing it because we love it. Um, David, the way that we usually structure these episodes is we do. Our giant shitheads of the week. We give out our game balls. We might even add a little bit of a new segment, which our friend Glenn Morrisiski of NYG Underground thought of in the DMs, which I really appreciate. We may introduce a little bit of segment about that. And then obviously, you know, once we get away from, from those kind of uh, structured conversations, we kind of end off with some macro conversation. So our macro conversation today will be life after Saquon. And then we'll preview... <laughs> The pregame show, I guess. And we'll look at the Washington Redskins for a couple minutes and uh, get excited for that. So, David, you ready to rock and roll? Let's do it, man. All right, David, what do you want to start off with? Do you want to start off with uh, the bad or do you want to start off? I think we should start off with the bad. I agree. The giant shithead of the week. Let's just get out of the way. You go first.
1: My giant shithead is probably the easiest one to identify. Um, Janoris Jenkins uh, goes up against Mike Evans. Mike Evans,
0: understandably, he's, you know, do you want to hear a summary of uh, Janoris Jenkins' day? Go ahead. You know formations and personnel. What the- he got his ass beat. He got his ass
1: beat. He did. Uh, Mike Evans, fifteen targets, eight catches, one hundred ninety yards, uh, three touchdowns. Mike Mike Evans is good. Is is a top? I would say six or seven wide receiver in the NFL. Um, but Janoris Jenkins got undressed, and, and there's no, there's no excuse for it. And you, you kind of got the feeling, even in the third quarter, Tampa probably could have kept going to him, and it still would have been there. I can't imagine the Giants made any any wholesale changes um, in their in their scheme to stop Evans. I mean, I'm sure they, they threw a couple of doubles his way, but it couldn't have been enough to warrant the fact that he didn't really get he got no targets in the third quarter. Um, and obviously, it went very down all the way down to the end of the game. You know, if not for the missed field goal, that Mike Evans play was the game clincher that 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 uh, you know 40 yarder or so to Evans on the last drive. And following up from his comments he made after the Buffalo game, that's that it's completely inexcusable. He needs to perform
0: better. How funny? How funny is that, though? I, I, I find it to be funny. I don't really find it very funny, Justin. I guess maybe it's ironic, but I also do find it extremely, extremely funny. Now, I like Jack Rabbit. I like Jack Rabbit. He's not one of these guys where he's, you know, an egotistical guy. He's not. He's quiet. He's more reserved. That's why I'm a little surprised that he did say what he said at the end of the Buffalo game. But it is just it is just funny that, of course, he says what he says and then literally has one of the worst first halves in NFL history. You know, I have no problem with what he said. And
1: I didn't when he when he said it. I didn't have a problem with it. and. The team didn't seem to have a problem with it either. I mean, the I think Brass had a problem with it, but the team's teammates didn't. When when that you know, defensive linemen were asked, they agreed. They were like, he's right, he's not wrong. I don't have a problem with him saying that. The problem is when you say something like that, you need to go out and back it up. You need to go you need to go out and say, I I challenge my guys to do what they're gonna do. The least I can do is keep them in my job. And, and there were times he just he didn't look like he wanted to be on the same field as Mike Evans, and he honestly wasn't for a large portion of the game. On a defense that's been very, very shaky, we'll put it that way, the secondary has been very shaky uh, through the first three games. That was by far, it's not even close, the worst performance of any of the secondary players we've seen. And it, it's not even close on a very, very rough first three weeks for the secondary. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I I. I I would prefer to talk about the good. So we got to We got, I want to run through the shitheads.
0: Okay. Uh, David, Uh, my giant shithead of the week for the New York football giants is Nathaniel Solder. That was not fun. No. Watching, Uh, watching Daniel Jones at one point of the game actually get stepped on by another human being. That was not fun. There was a, there was a good stretch in that third quarter for about, you know, I believe he was actually sacked like five, like five times or hit five times in seven plays, which is what makes Daniel Jones even more impressive at the fact that he was hit that much and he was pummeled in that third quarter, yet he's able to lead game winning drives in the fourth quarter. You know, but I need neither here nor there. I'll rest my case with saying that. But Nate Solder against uh, Shaq Barrett. Yeah, it's not. It's not Shaquille. It's Shaq. Shaq. Okay. It might be Shaquille, against, um, but I'm
1: I'm going Shaq. We just go Shaq.
0: You're gonna go Shaq. All right. Who, by the way, <laughs> I think he needed to have like eight sacks in like throughout the entire season. There's something with this contract clause with this previous team where he needed to have like eight sacks or something to get a quarter of a million dollars. He he hasn't like nine sacks through <laughs> the first three games. It's crazy it's it's crazy whatever whatever contract clause that he that he was that he had to get from his previous roster and his previous team he got in three games so that's kind of crazy that's I mean good for him but bad for Nate Solder and, and it wasn't even just the second half where Nate Solder had some bad moments um it was kind of throughout the game and kind of throughout that matchup where you know Solder Solder just has these games man where it's just like bad like I think well, it's it's him, it's him and NFC South teams, man. He looked really bad against the Falcons last year, and now he looked really bad against the Bucks this year. You know, so hopefully, you know, this could be sold. You know, one or two, one of two of Solder's really really bad games. Because outside of that Falcons game last year, there wasn't really a game that you can point to that said, oh, Nate Solder was actually terrible. He was actually one of our most consistent guys on the team last year. You know, once you removed the first part of that season and especially that Falcons game. It's just uh, hopefully it's just you know you you run in you run into a guy who's been unstoppable and nobody's been able to stop him the first three weeks. That was gonna be my point. Is I agree he was awful and he completely deserves to be to
1: be our second head, but nobody has stopped Shaq Barrett and nobody has stopped the Buccaneers front seven, specifically their front four. They they've been playing at a very 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 high level. It's the reason they beat Carolina to get their only win of the year so far. That group up front for Tampa is really, really talented. Um, So we knew coming in that would be a very tough matchup for the offensive line. I would have preferred to see them perform a little little bit better because I thought they were more capable of handling that. But I'm not going to hit the panic button on what I think is still an above-average offensive line because it was a very tough matchup.
0: Yeah, that was just a bad, bad look in that third quarter. Where it's like, holy shit! You know, we we know that Daniel, one of Daniel Jones's issues and one of his problems, not the worst in the world, but is ball security and pocket awareness in terms of where guys are coming from and how to protect the ball properly, and also just taking bad hits. Where I feel like a lot of people say that. Pocket awareness is one of Daniel Jones's weaknesses, but also it's one of his strengths. So it's it's a weird dynamic, and I, I think where people talk— It's very it's, odd. But it's, yeah. but it's odd in where you're kind of describing two different things. You're describing his pocket awareness in terms of his ability to hold on to the ball, but you're also saying that his pocket awareness is a plus in terms of his ability to move within the pocket. But neither here nor there. Bad look in the third quarter for that offensive line, particularly Nate Solder, because that's where Shaq Barrett was coming from. Um, and, you know, like we said, Nate, Nate Solda just has these games sometimes where it's just like, oh, really shitty game. Move on. We have next yeah. week. Yeah, and, and next week, you know, next week, again, Washington's front four has
1: always given the Giants fits. Ryan Kerrigan is, is in nightmares. He's so, he's thoroughly implanted in my nightmares. But they should not be nearly the nearly the task that Tampa was. They really, Washington should by far be the easiest defense as a whole, but especially up front, should be the easiest task that this offensive line has faced throughout the first four weeks of the season so i'm I'm curious to see how well they can
0: back david shall we move on to giving our game balls of the week yeah let's get
1: positive let's get positive let's do it you go first you want me to go first again i went first on the on the shitheads okay i'll go first whatever you want yeah go first i'll go
0: for i'll go first next week
1: okay sounds good uh you got we got to remember that that's actually that you're actually going to go first i i was saying to justin before we got started i there's a lot of guys a lot of guys really played well i don't want to just give it to you know the easy ones but i i i think i got to go with evan ingram evan ingram is going to get my game ball
0: whoa whoa what who gets the golden
1: game ball david oh we f- i forgot about the golden game ball oh my god all right, let's just completely undo all that.
0: No, I don't want to undo it. You messed up. I'm not editing that out. Merry Christmas. You're not going to the playoffs. You're not going to the playoffs, David. Who gets the fucking golden game ball of the week that's combining uh, I've everyone? Well, I thought maybe we'd do the golden game ball at the end. Oh, poo-poo you. All right, we'll do golden game ball. Yeah, you can say it very quickly and then move
1: back to Evan Ingram. Okay, fine. Our golden game ball, which is presented by Justin and David, the golden game ball, picture it. It's kind of like shining, and we're both holding it up with both our hands, presenting it to Daniel Jones. Kerry Collins. Um, <coughs> oh, careful. <coughs> oh, my goodness. That's horrible. How how could you say that?
0: No holds bad. <coughs> he, he took me in the low post and won, but I think we had on the varsity.
1: Thank you, Justin. You good? Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Daniel Jones. I mean, what, what tons been said about him already? Like, like Justin said in the beginning, I think we're going to kind of weave him and him in and out of this conversation uh, on this episode. Not much more can be said that hasn't already been said. He was just so impressive. Um, And I mean, without him, the giants don't come close to winning this football game. And I'm not, I'm not talking about Eli. I'm just talking about, I think without Daniel Jones, this team does not win this football game. A guy like Daniel Jones was so important in this game. His ability to stay in the pocket, taking hit after hit, popping right back up, and the team really seemed to rally around him. This team really seems to be completely one thousand percent bought in to Daniel Jones, and that's so so important for a young
0: quarterback and a young team. Would you agree? Yeah. Did you see? Uh, did you see the locker room reaction when he uh, when he came? Dave got him and slapped him on the ass when he was running yeah, into the locker yeah. room, and then. You know they were all chanting DJ DJ and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and they were all that cla- just just shit like that, man. It just just makes you weak man. It makes you feel like you're a part of the locker room, you know. And it lets you, really lets you know that the that the culture is really really going up over there. So it's really great yeah. to see. All right, David, I interrupted you. You were talking about Evan Ingram. Why don't you get back to your our, our regular game balls? Evan Ingram has been by far
1: the best player on the offense this season. It's not even close. He's been consistent. He Led the team in receiving yards on Sunday. Uh, had 113 yards on six catches and a touchdown. Obviously, that one touchdown was the 75-yarder. Uh, first play of the second half. The team needed, needed a shot in the arm. He provided it for them. Obviously, had that crazy one-handed catch uh, on the first, I think it was the first drive, the first offensive drive for the Giants uh, to pick up a first down. And just seemed to consistently be in positions where Daniel Jones could find him. Especially when the pocket was starting to collapse, Evan Ingram was there, and he's so dynamic that if, if Daniel Jones can get the ball in a position where he can turn it upfield and start running, he's hard to bring down. He's been so, so impressive. I love the way he's progressed in the, bl- in the blocking game. I've been, t- I've been talking about that since week one. Um, he's, he's really improved that area of his game. He has really become a three-down tight end. He, he's not a liability in the running game. You don't need to sub him out to get into a big package, quote-unquote, a big package. He has become, I would say, this team's most important player. And I do mean most important player beyond in front of Saquon Barkley. He is by far their most important player on the offense.
0: Yeah, does he become this offense? I mean, outside of Daniel Jones, does he become this offense's most important skill position player? Well, Justin, let me ask you this. If you're a defense, if you're the, you're, the Redskins
1: defensive coordinator, and your game planning for the Giants this week. Who are you trying to stop? Is it Sterling Shepard or is it Evan Ingram? I think it's Evan Ingram. He can hurt you so many different ways. Yeah, I kind
0: of went back and forth on who maybe deserves the offensive game ball besides Daniel Jones. And dude, Sterling Shepard and the yards after catch that we saw Sterling Shepard get on a catch-to-catch basis, and even, you know, you look at his one rushing attempt, how you know, his ability to even get past the first-down markers there. Dude, that's, that's elite. Think, obviously, you know, Evan Ingram's speed. I mean, just going down that left sideline, that first play, the first half, Darius Slayton with the nice block, by the way. That speed is incredible. And that's one of the really, really the first times that we got to see Evan Ingram's true, true straight-line speed. We've seen it in bursts, but to see Evan Ingram run that fast and get going, because it does take him a little bit to get going. And we knew that, you know, him getting off the line of scrimmage, he's not the quickest of guys, but when he does get himself going and his momentum going, he's, you know, he's up there with in terms of his quickness of, you know, or I'm sorry, his speed with wide receivers. But dude, just uh, Stoning Shepard's yards after catch and yards after contact last week, that was pretty cool. That was really, really cool to see that he was more than a possession wide receiver, which we already knew that based off of the based off of the stats. But it was really, really apparent for both of them. Really, their yards after catch this past weekend.
1: I absolutely love Sterling Shepard, but I think Evan Ingram. I'm all, I always try to think about what guy is going to get other guy good matchups, right. and I think Evan Ingram allows guys like Darius Slayton, but Sterling Shepard specifically. I think Evan Ingram allows a guy like Sterling Shepard to get better looks because the defense needs to pay attention to Ingram and and he's not the kind of tight end that you can put you can just put a linebacker a good linebacker on. He he has the speed. He needs he he needs to attract the attention of a safety. He needs to attract the attention of at times a slot corner if he lines up in the slot. That's that's how good Evan Ingram can be and it seems like he's putting everything together this year so far. And he's really taking that step that the Giants absolutely needed him to take if
0: they were going to go anywhere this year. David, bringing up Sterling Shepard made me think of something. Okay. This isn't a game ball. We're going to go away for the game ball for one second. Um, I, ha- I had a tweet that went out tonight, and I, it's honestly one of the one of the best tweets that I think I've ever had, where I was re-watching the Sterling Shepard touchdown that Daniel Jones threw to him in the third quarter in the right side of the end zone, the, the right back corner of the end zone. That Sterling Shepard caught that touchdown in the third quarter. You know what I'm referring to, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it was Jones's second touchdown pass. That play really reminded me of Daniel Jones's first touchdown pass in the preseason against the Jets. Now, if they were different formations, different coverages, but when you put the two plays side by side, Daniel Jones, literally, the, the play takes the exact same amount of time to develop and to happen both in both games and both situations. Daniel Jones literally does the same drop-back set, pats the ball the same way, and delivers the ball in almost the exact same location, and it was the same type of throw. Now, Chris Carter, this is where I get a little bit of trolling. Uh, I usually don't like to troll that often. You know, I leave that to Brett <laughs> Wiley, uh, who's a uh, who's a bleeding blue contributor who he really likes to troll. I kind of trolled a little bit where I remember I'm like, hey, didn't Chris Carter really roast Daniel Jones for, hey, that was an ugly throw. And if that was um, in that Jets game, it was Benny Fowler versus like a second or third string Jets uh, secondary guy. If that was uh what's his face? Adams, Jamal Adams, um, that that would have been intercepted. Well, guess what, Chris Carter? this throw against the Buccaneers, Shepard was double teamed. He was double covered in the back part of the end zone. And Daniel Jones was had pressure right in his face. And he delivered the ball where only the wide receiver could catch it. So I was like, hey, um, should we revisit that statement? So I really have to bring up that throw. Because those two plays, like really, go back, watch that Sterling Shepard touchdown, watch that Benny Fowler to Daniel Jones touchdown, uh, Daniel Jones' first preseason touchdown against the Jets. Go back and watch those two plays and tell me that is not the same exact throw. So I thought that was I I, I thought that was that was like an unbelievable aha moment I had uh, when I was watching like kind of like the All 22 and stuff like that. So I had to bring that up. My first game ball that I'm going to give out is Marcus Golden, dude. He's a fucking menace, man. He's killing it. He's killing it. And ask me if I'm surprised by one bit. Ask me if I'm surprised.
1: Justin, are you surprised one bit by uh, Marcus Golden's production so far? Hell, fucking no. You know it's really it's really funny. Both of our game balls uh, for Sunday went to the guys that we kind of projected as being the breakout potential breakout candidates for this team.
0: Yeah, I think I think Marcus Golden might have been a little bit more of a hot take than Evan Ingram. Well, I think but- I think Evan
1: Ingram, uh, it was more of like a. If he's not a breakout, that's going to be a big, big problem. Right. Whereas Marcus Golden was a little bit more of like, I'm going to pick one guy. And and this is the guy that's going to kind of elevate a de- the defense that we're not expecting.
0: Yeah. So Marcus Golden, man, he has four sacks in the last two games. Um, really, where he got his sacks last week in Buffalo, it was him one-on-one, 1v1, man versus man, him in the right tackle. Marcus Golden, basically, you know, his hand is out of the ground. And he's beating his man. He's beating his man to the outside. He's not allowing the right tackle to get his hands on him. But this week, however, David, this week is where you, where I got really, really excited by how Marcus Golden was being used on the defense. So Marcus Golden's two sacks, one of the plays, now this was his second sack that he had later in the game. He was lined up as an inside linebacker. He had his no hands on the ground. He was lined up right in the A-gap and it wound up being a quote-unquote coverage sack. But he was coming right up that A-gap. He was coming right up the interior, that interior offensive line, and that's where you saw Marcus Golden really thrive. You saw him thrive in that role in Arizona, and we talked all about that, him lining up there with James, in James Betcher's system in Arizona. We talked all about that, and I was wondering when that actually was going to happen. We didn't really see a lot of it during the preseason. Uh, not sure if I was able to really see it or observe it during the training camp practices that I went to. But dude, it's happening. He got a sack. It really worked. And then the second sack that he had, which was the first sack that he had in the game, lining up left side of the defense, right side of the offensive line, going up, going up against the right tackle, runs an interior stunt. So the ball snapped. He runs a stunt. He's going up the A gap or B gap on a stunt. And lo and behold, him and Alec Gogletree combined for a sack. Uh, I think he, I think, uh, Golden was going to be there regardless of when Ogletree got there, but it was great that both of them got the pressure and they got the job done together. So, dude, it. so you had last week against the Bills, Golden was beating his man one-on-one. This week, he's really thriving in the system. So I, I think it's going to be so, so fun to watch Marcus Golden. Got to stay healthy, continue to stay healthy. I'm confident he can, but, dude, it's going to be so fucking fun to watch this guy thrive in this system. Because you could put them all over the place. Oh, yeah, absolutely! This team, this
1: team needs a guy like Marcus Golden because because they lack they do lack the talent the purely. They lack the talent up front to just beat their guys one on one. It's all about confusing the defense, and you saw on one of the uh, on one of their sacks, Alec Ogletree actually gets a completely free release. Um, and, and I probably could have been credited with half of a sack, but I believe Marcus golden got the sack that all came from purely confusing. The offensive line It had nothing to do with pure talent versus anybody on the, on the Tampa offensive line. It was all about just putting guys in positions where they can excel and putting guys in positions where they can help each other. And we talked a lot about that over the preseason, Justin this defense like i said multiple times this is a defense by committee this is a defense that they're going to help each other and and i think you saw it a lot um on sunday and and i think for a guy like marcus golden if you can use him correctly and it appears that james betcher is using him correctly and and really has found a groove in how he's going to utilize marcus golden's talent it really really is important for this defense to to put guys in, the, in, in those plus situations where they can really take the defensive
0: line to another to another level so david uh we mentioned our, our buddy glenn Warsiski before and how in the dms uh we were we were kind of chatting and he thought of kind of like a new idea for a segment um and i you know it, it may not be an every week type of deal but what we tried to do here at bleeding blue is even when things are kind of very negative we do try to talk about things that are positive positive. Um, we try to talk we try to give those silver linings. we try to tell it. we try to tell everybody, you know it might not be as bad as you think or there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And a big thing about this giant's defense, Dave, and I still think it still gets it's still getting a lot of hate is this giant's pass rush. now what this beyond the noise segment uh, that's what this segment's called um it's it's go, it's going to be called beyond the noise. So beyond the noise of Twitter. And beyond the noise of people saying that the Giants don't have a pass rush, and the you know the naysayers, they're, the no, the naysayers are pretty quiet. But the naysayers that said, oh, you know, look at Josh Allen and how they're taking over the league, and blah 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 blah. And even Montez Sweat had a has had a pretty good start to his career. A lot of these rookie, a lot of these rookie uh, rookie edge rushers and defensive linemen are having pretty good starts to their career. But neither here nor there. Criticism of the Giants has been, oh, they don't have a pass rush, and that's killing their defense. Well, Dave, the last Two weeks, David. I said David like 17 times. (laughs) Giants have had six quarterback hits against the Buffalo Bills. They had 10 quarterback hits against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Jameis Winston this last Sunday. I'm here to say, beyond the noise, the New York Giants have a solid, solid pass rush. And when there is somewhat of a trust in the secondary and belief in the secondary... This pass rush will be able to thrive. And I think they will only get better, especially if they are going up against average offensive line groups. Dallas, tough. Tough game. Secondary, there was no trust. There was no belief in the secondary. I give the pass rush a a pass for for that game. But David, these last two weeks, there's been, at least in the second half, a little bit more trust, a little bit more belief in what the secondary can do. I would say I would especially point to the second half of this game against the Buccaneers. Pass rush has been there and it's been legit. So I say beyond the noise, New York Football Giants have a somewhat legitimate pass rush that is very dependent on the secondary's play, but it is there more than people think. I completely agree with
1: that and we've touched on this a couple of times. There's a lot of guys on this on this Giants defensive line, and I'll even I'll include the you know, I'll just say the front seven as a whole. Who if you watch the film and you watch the games and, and you watch the games back, they're in there. They're making plays, they're hitting the quarterback, they're they're forcing the quarterback to move his feet, make him uncomfortable. Now, like you said, Dallas, Dallas is a different story. Dallas' entire offense is predicated on that offensive line. So, and this that was kind of our point after that Dallas game, which was it's really not a fair measuring stick for this team right now. They they're they were not prepared for that. Buffalo, you would have liked to see probably more pure production in terms of sack numbers and, and probably forcing maybe a couple more mistakes against a quarterback that is prone to mistakes. But that was my point talking about the second-half defense against Buffalo last week that I caught a lot of flack for, which was they... They started hitting Josh
0: Allen. They started pressuring Josh Allen. They got they got a couple. They got there for a couple of sacks. They hit him hard too, David. Those those were not some those were not some just uh, hinky dinky. James Winston just falls down sacks. I'm even looking at right now the uh, I'm even looking at the Oshane Ximenez sack right now. Um, not to jump the gun on what could possibly be a giant game ball of the week, but he got hit hard. James Winston. They they hit him hard, man.
1: I want to specifically talk about two people, and I want to talk about. One one guy and then my other guy who maybe I will lead into my second game ball by talking about it. the first guy's gonna be um O'Shane Zimenez. I thought he played a fantastic game. Now I think this is a bit of a crime in all honesty. He only saw 52 percent of defensive snaps. And initially looking at it, I thought, okay, that make that makes sense. Rookie, you know, rookie linebacker, he wasn't a starter, so that makes sense. But especially considering Ogletree went down, Tay Davis went down, it was surprising to me that he didn't get more snaps and he didn't more immediately become part of the fold. But boy, when I'm watching him on I'm watching him on film and I'm watching him you know later on, it seems like every time he's in the game he's making a play every time he's in the game he he's generating some kind of pass rush. He was forcing Jameis Winston, not necessarily to roll out or to run for his life, but he's, he's just, you can see it. He's getting close enough where, where Jameis is uncomfortable and against a guy like Jameis Winston, who we know makes mistakes and gets antsy in the pocket. Sometimes all you have to do is just make him a little uncomfortable. Giants fans should know that from watching Eli Manning for the last three years is all you got to do is make, you know, get, make, Make Jameis have happy feet. When he gets starts getting happy feet, you see some mistakes. You see a a a, a lollipop pick to run Connolly. He he just he looked really impressive off the edge. He looked really impressive using his speed. He seemed like he 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 kind of had an idea of what he wanted to do going into going into every every rush. That's one guy. I'm gonna transition into talking my second guy. This is my second game ball. So Justin, if you want to say anything before we go back into game balls, tell me now or forever hold your peace. Let's go. All right. So my second game ball is going to go to Dexter Lawrence. I am so happy for Dexter Lawrence for having a very impactful game because he's been getting so much crap over the last, you know, over the last two weeks in the start of the year for you know you draft this guy at you know exposition that he they drafted him and he's not producing and I think to a well trained eye you can see he's still producing but he's producing in the way that a guy like Dexter Lawrence is going to produce. He's opening up things for other people. He's he's allowing other guys to make plays. But boy, he took it upon himself this past Sunday to make plays. He, only, he was only in the game for 43% of the snaps, which is a it's up last week. I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I believe it was in like the mid-30s last week, which I think you and I agreed, Justin, was too low. It's his first sack of, of his career. Which, I get it. People want to say it was a coverage sack. It fell right in his lap. I've saw, I saw a couple of people talking about that on Twitter today. Um, you know, we can't get too excited because he really didn't do anything. I, I think that's extremely lazy. I, I, that's Regardless of how good the coverage is, it's still not easy to generate pass rush. And the reason why it's actually more impressive is because the only reason they were able to cover for so long is because they dropped everybody back. There was no blitz on that play. It was was really the four of them. It was Marcus Golden, B.J. Hill, Dexter Lawrence, and Lorenzo Carter. And they finally got to him. It was a a coverage sack, but the point is Dexter Lawrence got there. He makes Jameis uncomfortable. It's all about making the quarterback uncomfortable. Blocking a point after, you know, in a seemingly... Uh, inconsequential point after in a, in what ended up being a one point game. We can't overlook that. That's, that's huge. I think it was BJ Hill and Dexter Lawrence came very, very close to blocking that uh, last second field goal attempt that ended up missing anyway, but they came very close to blocking it. I just feel like Dexter Lawrence really put his hands on this game. He, he, a couple of, you know, statistical quantifiable plays. Even more so, he looked very solid. In the pass rush, he was able to move his man back into the lap of Jameis Winston a couple of times. You saw a couple of times he was able to get his hands up and force Jameis Winston off of his spot, forced him to just shift his feet to start rolling out, which allowed guys like Marcus Golden, allowed O'Shea and allowed Lorenzo Carter to start closing in on Jameis, which again, just forces mistakes. And Dexter Lawrence, I said this last week, Dexter Lawrence has to be the anchor in the middle of this defense. And I think he's starting to take to that role very, very well. Everything should be working off of, you know, you know, from Dexter Lawrence out as opposed to from, you know, Lorenzo Carter and Marcus Golden in. And I think the defense is starting to get that.
0: That's how that's how the roster is constructed as a whole, David, where right. you have it's not from the outside in, it's from the inside and out. And that's from offense and defense. That's how Dave Gettleman has done it. So, um I'm going to give my final game ball really quickly. Then we'll get to our Saquon Barkley discussion. Final game ball For myself, it's going to go to Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton, once I really got into the All-22, what I saw is that he was really fulfilling the role of Cody Latimer. And we're a podcast that really likes Cody Latimer. We've really defended Cody Latimer, you know, even when a lot of people kind of wanted to quit on him. Um, Cody Latimer, you know, he's he's not on the football field, so a guy's got to step in and fulfill that role. And Darius Slayton is a guy that's done it. Now, we know with his physicality, we saw it even in the third week, the third week of the preseason against Cincinnati Bengals. We saw that he's able to be physical and go up and over a defender. Um, Cody Latimer is a very, very physical wide receiver, and he's very good at doing it. You know, maybe Darius Slayton can evolve into that kind of role, but where Darius Slayton really fit in this week in terms of the role of Cody Latimer, not necessarily his physicality, but going vertical. Going vertical and stretching the field, being that one guy, being that one wide receiver, that that's what he's really good at. You know, Sterling Shepard is more of that intermediate guy that can get you yards after the catch. Uh, You know, Evan Ingram's kind of like a Swiss Army knife where he can kind of do everything, but still, you're not seeing Evan Ingram really running streaks uh, down the middle of the field. You know, again, he's a guy that's yards after catch. You know, he's going to be a guy that's going to get you those kind of yards. But, you know, where you saw Cody Latimer thrive is, you know, throwing the ball down the field and keeping defenses honest Darius Slayton same thing but the difference here between Latimer and Slayton is his game is Slayton's game breaking speed that's really the main difference maker and my most favorite play from this last Sunday David was when Darius Slayton caught that 45 yard pass from Daniel Jones in the second half it was 22 personnel which I cannot even tell you David I cannot even tell you the last time Giants ran 22 personnel I had to like look I had to like look up and make sure that oh 22 is that with one wide receiver yes it's with two tight ends two running backs and one wide receiver i I don't even know i have to i I, I should actually look and see if the Giants even ran how many plays they even ran in 2018 with 22 personnel but holy shit and guess who was the only wide receiver on the field wasn't Shepard. Wasn't Fowler, wasn't Russell Shepard. You know, I feel like maybe sometimes you throw twenty-two personnel out there, where that's a really that's a running formation, and then you just throw a Russell Shepard out there just for shits and giggles. No, they threw Darius Slayton out there, man, and they went play action. Daniel Jones is able to step up at the pocket, extend the play while he's in the pocket, not necessarily breaking containment from the pocket. He's able to avoid the rush. Throw off, throw when he's driving off of that back leg and he's hitting Darius Slayton, who was covered, by the way, by two guys. There was a safety on him. There was a cornerback on him. The safety did a terrible job on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by letting Darius Slayton go behind him. But the game-breaking speed was the main difference there. So Darius Slayton gets my game ball. uh, David, let's just move. We're going to move to life without Saquon. We're just going to do it. Are you okay with that?
1: Okay, let's move. Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: I have my opinions on life after Saquon. And I feel terrible for Saquon Barkley. I really felt like his career where he's going out there and he's winning football games and he's actually playing in productive football games that matter in his own career. I felt like this Sunday was the start of that. It unfortunately is going to have to wait for another eight weeks. Now... I have my own opinions about positional value and how much impact a running back can have in a football game. And that's been part of the discussion that I've been trying to fight the first two weeks of the season, where it's like, even if Saquon Barkley were to get 20 touches, 15, 25, or 30 touches, would that have really made a difference in in the football game that we were playing in the first two games of the season? Meanwhile, you see Daniel Jones come in, good quarterback play, and that makes all the difference in a football game. So really, David, I'm going to argue that this football team is really going to miss Saquon Barkley at times. It will not be detrimental. It will not be a death sentence just because the running back position is so invaluable in today's game that we will be able to go on. And I know I'm it's not shitting on it's this is not shitting on Saquon. It's just shitting on the position that he plays in. What do you think?
1: I agree with you, and I and I understand why you're 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 treading lightly. Um, neither of us are saying that the Giants are better off without him, but there is certainly something to be said for watching Saquon go out on Sunday. And remember, he went out early in the game. This was not, you know, uh, this was not. He was it, he, Saquon Barkley was not in any way part of the comeback on Sunday, but. By like the second half, I don't know about you, Justin, but my mind was not on the fact that the Giants didn't have Saquon Barkley on the field. My mind was on the my mind was on. Let's go, Daniel Jones. Let's go. This team's gonna. This team's moving the ball. This team's they're hitting Evan Ingram. They're hitting Sterling Shepard. They're finding guys open. They're hitting Darius Slayton. My mind my mindset changed. Whereas going into the game, I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, Daniel Jones, here we go. First start, we got Saquon. We're good. We got Saquon. Saquon. You know, we'll hold it down." Jones can play game manager if he needs to, whatever. So I'm dancing around saying the wrong thing here. But I don't think, like you said, Justin, I don't think it's a death sentence. I don't think that just because he's gone, this team is dead in the water. I think it'll be hard. I think they no doubt lost their overall best player on the team. And you don't get better when you lose your best player. There, that's there was no doubt about that. But I gotta say, if you had told me uh, four days ago the Giants were going to lose Saquon Barkley for potentially eight weeks, I would I would initially have said to you, "Okay, so they're going to go one and seven in that stretch if they're lucky." And I don't, and I just don't feel that way. And that has nothing to do with Saquon Barkley. It has everything to do with what I've seen from basically the other 46 meaningful guys on this roster.
0: David, this is really a tough conversation, um, but one of the things that I actually am concerned about in terms of life after Saquon, who the hell is our second-string running back right now? They it, it, Today is Wednesday, or we're recording this on a Tuesday night. Now, hopefully there's some kind of news out today on Wednesday. I know they did bring in a pass catching older veteran running back in for a workout today while CJ Anderson worked out for some other team as well. But David, who who what are we doing? What are we going to do? Is John Hillman coming back? Is he's on the practice squad? That would be an in-house move that would be pretty cool. I'm a we're <laughs> we the the start Darkwah and the and the sign Orleans Darqua movement is getting started back up again just like it's 2015. I would be happy to pioneer that. I want to see Orleans yeah. Darqua. I'm wearing my uh I'm wearing my Andre Brown jersey this Sunday. Ooh, you hate to see it. In honor in honor of Orleans Darqua and in honor because I, I think Andre Brown and Orleans Darqua, they hold they both hold special places in my heart. But in honor of to say that backup running backs matter, I'm gonna wear my Andre Brown jersey this Sunday. <laughs> That's terrible. Yep. Yep yeah, so David uh, give give us maybe maybe give me your thoughts on life after Saquon with somebody who isn't named Wayne Gallman and then we'll kind of wrap up after that. I mean it's unknown. I like I
1: don't I I really don't know what direction they're going to go. Um I wasn't in love with the names that they brought in today. Uh for workouts to be honest,
0: I only knew I only knew one of them. Yeah, what what name what name would have what name would have you been in love with if if they brought in somebody, I don't really think there is anybody. I would have been happy that they could have. I would have been
1: happy to see that they brought in CJ Anderson. I know that's the sexy. That's like the the sexy name because he's he's name everybody knows. He's not a sexy man though. Justin, I never said he was sexy.
0: You said he was. A, you said he was
1: sexy. No, I said I said that the name at the moment is a. What you know? What Justin, shut up. Okay, you know what I meant. You're being obtuse. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I would say my favorite move would be to keep it in house. I don't see why you don't just promote Hillman, or you resign Paul Perkins, and you you kind of go from there. Remember, this is this is this is a placeholder piece. So I want to see them bring somebody that they're gonna have to pay. You know, uh, you know, uh, one point two million. You know, I don't want to see them have to sign somebody.
0: Uh, For what's really not going to be a very... No no running back is getting that much money. Uh, Please. I mean, Dave Gettleman actually might give a running back that much money. I don't know. Yeah. No holds bad. He he took me in the low post and won, but I think we had on the varsity.
1: You know what's going to happen, Justin? They're going to re-sign Jonathan Stewart.
0: Oh, boy. We're going to see Jonathan Stewart. The, oh, speaking of Jonathan Stort, who was the honorary winner of the 2018 Dave Gettleman Foundation Free Roster Spot of the Year, he won that award. Well, this year's winner, Nate Stupar, is back. He he was on the roster, and then we cut him. So we, you know, I, I guess he won the award for a little while, but now he's back, so he wins the award again. <laughs> <laughs> well, does he win the award? It's I so like think maybe he loses that title if when he if he did. no he made. He made the final 53, That's true. That's which fair. in my eyes, you win it. That's fair. That's fair. But he's back, baby. So now he officially wins it. All right, David, is there, is there really anything else that you want to say? I hope we do something at running back today as you're listening to this. I hope that you have news. I hope that you already have the news that we don't right now in the past that the Giants have an idea about what they're doing at backup running back behind Wayne Gallman. I have one cool stat that I want to
1: share with you, to, and I want to share with I want to share with our with our people before before we sign off. Okay, the Giants had two wide receiver two two receivers with over a hundred yards receiving this past Sunday, and Daniel Jones' first game first game had two receivers with over a hundred yards. Just when's the last time that happened for the Giants?
0: I'm gonna guess. It's before 2016. I kind of want to say, like, Reuben Randall and Odell Beckham Jr.
1: Very good, Justin. The last time that happened was December 28, 2014. It was week 17. Uh, the Giants were playing the Eagles. It was a home game. Um, Reuben Randall had 158 yards receiving, and Odell Beckham had 185 yards
0: receiving. Boom. I'm a fucking genius. The Giants love their garbage time games. And what's really important
1: is this is the guy's first game. First NFL start. And none of those yards were garbage yards. They were all needed. They were all necessary. And they were all important. Daniel Jones is going to take us to the promised land. I don't know what is exactly promised, but it's, he's going to take us there. Merry Christmas, you're not going to the playoffs. Now, that's not an appropriate soundbite for that. Oh, my God,
0: I could say something, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So, David, we lied to the people. We actually aren't going to preview the pregame show. Um, You're just going to have to wait until Saturday afternoon slash Sunday morning to listen to it. I know it'll be hard. It'll be tough. It'll be tough. I mean, we, we, everybody knew that we were bad guys to begin with, especially me. I'm an idiot and a bad guy. Everybody already knew that. So I kind of teased them with it. And now we're just going to not talk about it because we're running long. But this was a lot of fun. It's really, really
1: fun talking about a win. Can you imagine how miserable this episode would be? Had we lost? Had Daniel Jones looked like pedestrian? We'd be trying so
0: hard to find silver linings. I don't even want to talk about it, David. All right. So um, okay. until the pregame show, until the weekend, you will hear from us then. We're going to prepare for another Giants win. It's going to be fun. The 0-3 Washington Redskins are going to be coming to East Rutherford, New Jersey, MetLife Stadium to play the 1-2 New York Football Giants, led by Daniel Jones, who will be playing in the in his first home game. His home opener, technically. So uh, until then, until the pregame show, keep on bleeding blue. Keep on bleeding blue. Go Giants, go Giants, go Giants. And David. You're all amazing, everybody. Stay beautiful.